You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. He's in the building! Drink the moment. Drink it. I said, empty your mind. Coquettish and coy. Ow. Ow. What? Yeah, there's people that are dying. The wickedly talented. More than great. It was historic. Crack is world. Oh, good for you. I have to apologize. One of the hottest. Hello and welcome back to The Reheat, a podcast that re-examines the hottest celebrity news and scandals of yesteryear and asks, how would we react to the same events if they had transpired today? I'm your co-host, Sarah Sahagian. And I'm Staf Hassan, your other co-host. And today's episode is a particularly special one because as the summer approaches, a certain thirst has settled in and it's got us thinking a whole lot about our favorite crushes. We are talking the men we love today, those guys who remain pretty and unproblematic, as well as the men we've loved in the past who turned out to be a little sour post-scandal. And that means you're also going to get to know us a little better, and we'll probably also be able to judge our taste a lot better. Go easy on us, though, because I think we've got some pretty good taste, and it's definitely pretty similar. Let's just say the celebrity men who tend to keep us ogling are not your average Hemsworth, necessarily, but the next-door homebody types who have serious dad energy and probably love a chunky sweater. Is that accurate, Sarah? You've got me pegged. Let me tell you about one of the great loves of my life. No, it's not my husband, although I do love him dearly. Right now, I want to tell you about Stanley Tucci, whom I consider the Chanel suit of crushes because he never goes out of style. Amen. A March 2002 People magazine proclaimed Stanley Tucci embraces his sex symbol status at 61. The actor told people he didn't, quote, get it, but he still appreciates the label. Sadaf, do you get Stanley Tucci's sex appeal? Are you what I term a Stanley sexual too? Why or why not? I am a Stan sexual. I love this man. I feel like he smells really good. Like I can just oh, yeah. sense that this man is a fine wine. Like mm-hmm. pour it down my throat. I want it all and I want it every day. Oh. Couldn't say it better myself. (laughs) So when did he become a sex symbol? It was probably during the pandemic when his Insta blew up thanks to videos of the Julia and Julia star making a Negroni cocktail. I'm back. All right. So, a Negroni. But we're going to make a Negroni up. Mostly people have Negronis on the rocks. But I think, actually, they're quite nice. Today, Stanley boasts over 1.3 million followers and is something of a god in the food and travel TV genre, hosting CNN's popular series, Searching for Italy, where, as the title suggests, he goes around Italy eating the pasta and charcuterie plates of your dreams. But the truth is, Stanley was always a sexy beast, and he was once a bit of a bad boy, too. In 1995, (laughs) he married former stage manager and social worker Kate Spath. The couple raised Kate's two children from her first marriage together and added three more to the brood. But their union wasn't without a blip. In 2002, Stanley starred alongside Sopranos star Edie Falco in the Broadway revival of Frankie and Johnny. Because Frankie and Johnny is a play about two people having sex, Edie and Stanley essentially got to know each other while rehearsing in the nude. Sparks flew. Of course. Shortly thereafter, Stanley left his wife of seven years for his co-star. 
The couple turned up on red carpets together. They even attended the 55th Emmy Awards as a couple, which is as official as it gets in Hollywood. Neither star has been candid about their breakup, but for one reason or another, the relationship between Edie and Stanley faltered, and in 2004, Stanley returned to his wife. So he and Kate stayed together, and a couple of years later, Kate would accompany her husband to the premiere of The Devil Wears Prada, where she would pose for a picture with none other than Felicity Blunt, sister to Stanley's co-star Emily Blunt, and Stanley's future second wife. If Kate forgave Stanley, can we overlook his infidelity? Does this story of his dalliance with Edie make him more or less sexy? Less sexy. This is one of those anecdotes. I mean, it's not an anecdote. It's terrible. But I like to repress and I never want to think about it because it does make him a little ugly. Gotta say, infidelity is never good looking and it always is going to be a blemish on your record. And listen, I love Edie Falco. I always will support Edie Falco, but this is not a good look for Stanley. What do you think, Sarah? It's not. It shows that all of your faves are problematic. But what I do like is that he acknowledged his mistake. He wasn't stubborn about it. And he did go back to his wife and his family. Uh, And so I appreciate that. I, I mean, let's talk about it. Do you think you can be flawed and still be a good guy? Because this is a flaw. This was a mistake. But how flawed is too flawed in order to be considered overall good? Oof. A very big question. I'm always one of those people who thinks, listen, if you cheat on me, there's no coming back from it. I couldn't do it. But the older that you get, the more you realize that things are not so black and white and so simple, and it's not a terrible thing to take someone back. It's not impossible to become a quote-unquote better person after doing something like this. It happens. And But then there's a part of me that's like, well, if I wasn't so attracted to Stanley Tucci, if I didn't enjoy him so much <laughs> on the screen, would I be making the same excuses? <laughs> so, I mean, I'm a little biased, right? And I think we do have these biases sometimes. But listen, cheating is always bad. It's always bad. But you can still be a good person years later. It, cheating is always bad, but Stanley learned from his mistakes. And yeah. I do have different moral standards for hot people. I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sarah said it. Sarah said it. I didn't have to. <laughs> um, in 2009, Kate, his wife, tragically died of breast cancer. The widowed Stanley has been very candid about how challenging it was to lose his wife and the mother of his children. But a sex god like Stanley can't stay single for long. In 2010, Stanley attended the wedding of John Krasinski and Emily Blunt and struck up a conversation with the bride's sister, Felicity, a successful literary agent 18 years his junior. Picking up a bridesmaid at a wedding, Stanley's got game. Yes. Both foodies, the pair would have their wedding reception at Lanima in 2012. It was the London restaurant where they had one of their first dates. Felicity and Stanley now share two beautiful children, Matteo and Amelia. The kids are big Peppa Pig fans, too, and that propelled their dad to refer to the cartoon icon as, quote, irritating animal swine in 2020. (laughs) Stanley is both sexy and relatable. (laughs) Yes, we all talk like that. (laughs) Pretty much. Um, So, Sadaf, one last question for you. Why do you think it took so long for him to become the sex symbol he deserves to be? Well, first of all, I think it took a long time for people to see that men who don't have hair can be very attractive, at least for our generation, right? So I think there's that. But then also, he really burst into pop culture with Devil Wears Prada. I think that was a key moment. And then after that, people started to take notice. And now he's one of those guys who can do no wrong. Those Instagram videos of him doing his little cocktail making sessions or whatever he's doing with his wife, 
the number of people who send me them the moment that they're published, I'm like, we're all in this hive. Like, it's a thing now. We're all thirsting after him and his cocktails. I mean, he's the ultimate wife guy. He makes his wife a cocktail every night. Like, dream man. Really, though? We love Stanley. We do. Okay, Sarah, I'm sufficiently aroused. Now let's hear about a man who you've turned on over the years and why. So in my mid to late 20s, Aziz Ansari was my dreamboat. I first noticed Aziz on Parks and Rec, the winsome sitcom where he played Tom Haverford, political staffer slash nightclub promoter. (laughs) But it was his stand-up that made me fall hard for the comedian. Here's a bit he does on marriage from his 2013 special, Buried Alive, which is honestly one of the most brilliant pieces of stand-up I've ever seen. But imagine if marriage didn't exist. And you're a guy and you ask a woman to get married. Imagine what that conversation would be like. You'd be like, uh, hey, so, um, you know, we've been hanging out together all the time, spending a lot of time together and everything. Yeah, yeah, I know. I want to keep doing that till you're dead. <laughs> what? I want to keep hanging out with you till one of us dies. <laughs> Put this ring on your finger so people know we have an arrangement. Aziz's reputation as an enlightened, progressive dude made feminists like me swoon. But when you love someone, it's all the more disappointing when they aren't the woke hottie you thought they were. A few months after the Me Too movement began, Babe.net published an account by a 23-year-old woman referred to by the pseudonym Grace in January of 2018. The article was titled, quote, I went on a date with Aziz and sorry, it turned into the worst night of my life. Written by Katie Way, the piece documents Grace's initial meeting with Aziz when she was someone's date at the 2017 Emmy Awards in Los Angeles. Aziz himself was nominated for an acting Emmy for Master of None. The two had a rapport, and she gave Aziz her number. After returning to New York, they went on a date. After dinner, they went back to Aziz's Tribeca apartment, and things got uncomfortable. When Aziz quickly tried to make the encounter sexual, Grace explained she sent clear nonverbal signals she wasn't ready. One example would be moving her hand away from his genitalia when he repeatedly placed her hand on his penis. Grace also explained her discomfort verbally, telling her date, quote, I don't want to feel forced because then I'll hate you, and I'd rather not hate you. Aziz appeared to understand and agreed it wasn't fun unless they were both having fun. However, when they headed over to the couch to relax, Grace says she felt pressured to perform oral sex. Afterwards, as they watched Seinfeld together, Grace explains, quote, it really hit me that I was violated. Listeners can read the full Babe.net account for themselves online. For his part, Aziz released a statement himself in January of 2018. Aziz, or a PR professional writing on his behalf, said he and the woman known as Grace, quote, ended up engaging in sexual activity, which by all indications was completely consensual. Later in the statement, he adds that he took her words to heart when he received a text from Grace explaining she was uncomfortable and that he continues to, quote, support the movement that is happening in our culture. It is necessary and long overdue. While the Aziz story probably wouldn't meet the definition of sexual assault in a court of law, it inspired a lot of important conversations about the significance of checking in with partners during sex and ensuring enthusiastic consent. Today, Aziz is happily engaged to Serena Skov, a Danish national who works for PricewaterhouseCoopers in London. And contrary to some worried Twitter users in 2018, he has not been canceled. Aziz has gone on tour and put together two specials since his 2018 scandal. 
Both ended up streaming on Netflix. I watched them both, and admittedly, I laughed at parts, but Aziz isn't my fantasy progressive boyfriend anymore. Sadaf, how do we feel about Aziz's handling of the sexual misconduct allegations? Can we see Aziz as a good guy? How do we decide whether to forgive male celebrities for their mistakes? And how long to wait before doing so? Well, I mean, this takes me back to the Stanley Tucci question, because I think that's something where he acknowledged it, he addressed it, he apologized in a way that felt genuine, right? And a lot of time went by. With Aziz, it's interesting um, because he's never really seemed that apologetic. He also doesn't address the situation much. And tell me if I'm wrong, I didn't watch his new special, but from what I heard, that was also a situation where it sounded like he was kind of mocking cancel culture and sort of, again, walking around the issue and what actually happened. And I mean, also, you know, he's not he's not joking about the assault, I'm assuming, which is good. So that's kudos. But for me, it's tough. I think he's a little tainted now. I did watch that special and I don't really plan to. But at the same time, I will say, and this might make people hate me, but I felt like that particular account, something about it didn't sit well with me either. Mm-hmm. There was just something about the way that it was written and then the way that it was put out there. Um, I have divide, I have mixed feelings on it. So there's been a part of me, I won't lie, that's kind of been like, okay, maybe he has space to actually come back from this. But he hasn't really addressed it in a way that feels sufficient to me. At the same time, I was never like a massive fan. So I don't know. I think it's interesting that you are still able to consume his content. That to me is a sign that he can come back from it. What do you think? I think that that's fair. I mean, I I do feel a little bit guilty and queasy when I consume his content because um, I do think that people, if they genuinely are remorseful, I do believe rehabilitation is, is possible in this yeah, world. Same. But when you watch his specials, you can tell that if he feels remorse, he's he's not willing to really go into it publicly in a big way and he does kind of make fun of cancel culture and he's almost an apologist for himself with certain jokes where he kind of talks about how times have changed and they've changed quite rapidly and he has this in his um in a special not the last one but the, the one before the most recent special he talks about parks and rec and how certain plot lines on that show which is not an old show would already be deemed inappropriate and problematic today. And you can't help but think, like, is he trying to make that parallel between his actions and the show, right? Which feels a little bit creepy to me. And I agree with you, the Babe.net piece um, has some problems. And in my opinion, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I think it was poorly reported and not particularly well written. Um, I think it's a bit convoluted. But I do think that having reread the piece, it's very clear that he was being a jerk. And the reason why that's so upsetting is he made a ton of money. He got a book deal for Modern Romance. He had Master of None off of being this kind of woke feminist comedian who talked about modern love and modern dating norms. And when you make a lot of money off of that, but you have these sexual encounters where it's pretty obvious someone's uncomfortable. Maybe they're not, you're not assaulting them, but they're not comfortable. It's, that's pretty gross. That's pretty hypocritical. And I I don't think that that's okay. And I think that you need to do a bit more self-reflection than it looks like he's done. 
so I'm not, he's not my crush anymore, but uh, yeah, I, I might watch future specials. I don't know. Uh, and that's fine, right? I mean, I also really, really loved Master of None. I thought it was a work of art and I still hold out for some more seasons and I will probably rewatch it and that's okay. Um, we talk about this a lot, that you can separate the art and the artist. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me with him is that I also wonder if it's partially a PR strategy, um, you know, not really addressing it directly and not Mm -hmm. doing it too often. It makes issues go away faster. So there is that as well. And I think if that is what he's doing, and I have to assume that is part of it, he's doing it well because a lot of people just carried on and a lot of people watched the special and a lot of people watched the new season of Master of None. And so there's always room, I think, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of like a politician who maybe had a little bit of a fuckboy past, let's say, and then marries a really great woman and has a couple kids and looks like family values. You know, you're like, you can clean up your image, right? And he could do that down the line. And maybe that's okay. I think he can come back from this, but to each their own, right? I think he definitely can too. And, uh, you know, I know he did not force Grace into sex, but... Uh, as Samantha B kind of explained on her show, that's the goal is not not rape, right? <laughs> the goal of sex is not like, oh, he didn't rape me and yeah. therefore it, it's all good. Well, the bottom line, right, is that we just found out basically at the very, if we strip it all down, that he's an asshole. Like that's mm-hmm. what we found out. And that was unfortunate too, where I thought this was a really sweet, charming guy. How would I know? I've never met him, but that's what the perception I had. I read that story and I was like, oh God. <laughs> so. Yeah, it felt like a really big betrayal. That day I, I tweeted yeah. two of these um, because I Oh, you did? Yeah, I felt like he was one of our few genuine feminist allies in Hollywood. And uh, I also felt betrayed that day. I'm with you. I'm with you. I know. It just, it was devastating. But R.I.P. Tom (laughs) Haverford. But Sadaf, now it is your turn. So who is one of your all-time celebrity crushes? Okay. I've got to talk about my great, great, great love. Keanu Reeves, the original himbo, a Toronto (laughs) boy. This is an individual who I firmly believe does not have a single hater, incels Mm -hmm. aside. And I'd put money on that, actually. I think you would too, Sarah. He's been acting since the mid-80s, and here's how you know him. And this is just a handful, okay? Bill and Ted... That one Paula Abdul music video, which if you have not seen, go see it. Dracula, Much Do About Nothing, My Own Private Idaho, Point Break, Speed, The Matrix, The Lake House, John fucking Wick, Toy Story 4, Always Be My Maybe. I mean, my God, the man can do any genre and sure... Yes, maybe he plays a variation of the same cool, soft-spoken guy in just about everything, but he's really good at it. He's got a voice that sends a chill down my spine, salt and pepper facial hair that looks like a soft field I could take a nap in, and piercing eyes that make me want to also drown. Basically, he makes me want to be horizontal in a lot of different ways. So, So why do I you, and the rest of the world love Keanu Reeves because he oozes harmlessness and goodness and kindness. I mean, look at John Wick, which is essentially today's Keanu in a bottle. He's a man on a mission for revenge because someone killed his dog. (laughs) I mean, does it get sweeter than that? Sarah, how do you feel about Keanu? I mean, any man who will avenge the death of his dog is my friend. Like, dogs are important. (laughs) Keanu is obviously the sexiest. I mean, I've been in love with him since I saw him in Speed. Yeah. That really taught me about crushes, that movie, um, and about attractive men. Uh, I would love it if 
Keanu Reeves would rescue me while I'm speeding on a bus. I would ha- be happy to die on the bus with him. Let's call it a day. Good enough. <laughs> I die happy. Life well lived, yeah. Now, in the last few years, because of John Wick and because of The Matrix and Bill and Ted remakes, Keanu's had a bit of a renaissance and even been dubbed the internet's boyfriend. There's an entire Twitter account, in fact, dedicated to looking at him doing simple things really hotly, like sitting on a chair, <laughs> stretching his many tired muscles, yawning, <laughs> Wearing different hats. There's a lot of them. And lest we forget, there was that time he was memed as sad Keanu after being photographed on a bench eating by himself. And he himself found it funny, by the way. So he's also somebody who can laugh at himself. He doesn't take himself too seriously. I mean, he just gets more and more attractive. But here is where I'd appreciate a little reckoning of source. This is no tragic figure. Let's not forget the happy Keanu meme of him skipping joyously in the street. Literally skipping with a giant grin on his face. (laughs) Now that said, I have to touch on his personal life, which does begin with a little bit of a sad glimmer. It's a story not everyone knows. In 1998, he began dating and fell in love with Jennifer Syme, who was actually David Lynch's assistant. I don't know how that connection happened, but a year later, she gave birth to their child, who was stillborn, unfortunately. The pair broke up weeks later, but then reconciled. But tragedy would strike again in 2001 when Jennifer was killed in a car accident in L.A. It's not something Keanu talks about often, but it certainly adds layers to someone who for a very long time was considered simple and pretty much lacking any kind of emotion. I feel like anytime somebody finds out about this story, they're shocked to hear he has anything like this in his past because he just seems so carefree and like he's lived this flawless life. Um, The man has been through it. Mm -hmm. He's had very low-key relationships otherwise, has been in a relationship since 2009 with artist Alex Alexandra Grant. Somehow they only went public in 2019, causing an internet stir because he dared to go out with a woman with gray hair. Inconceivable. What more can this man give us? He's super generous, memorably gifted his John Wick stunt team Rolexes as gifts. He also once had a crush on Sandra Bullock and he rides a motorcycle. And by the way, she also said she once had a crush on him. So they were both secretly in love with each other while they shot Speed. Why didn't it happen? It's maddening. It's I feel like there's still time, but I also don't want to split up him and Alexander Krantz. I don't know, but I have feelings about that. Um, Also, he's lovely representation for the API community. We love a man of color. Okay, Sarah, tell me, how has Keanu remained so good? And is it that he's just maybe boring? I mean, I don't think he's boring because as we know, he had a bit of a tragic past, but I think that he's generous. I think that he really seems to like people and he's so professional. Like the fact that he appreciates the stunt people on his films, I mean, who really, I mean, they make him look good, right? Like you really do need to appreciate the people yeah. who make you look good. Just shows me that he's he's self-aware. He doesn't take himself too seriously. He's a team player. And you know, Keanu can make even a bad movie rewatchable. I've seen The Lake House about 15 times. Me too. And it's not good. No, it's not. (laughs) I will watch it because he and Sandy have amazing chemistry. There's something about him and I think he can unite anybody. Like one of my theories with Keanu is that you can take anybody to go see a Keanu movie and you'll both have a great time. For sure. Take your mom, your dad, your brother, your next door neighbor, your ex. (laughs) Like it's just always going to be a perfect recipe. There's just something about it. He's like one size fits all. Mm -hmm. Keanu Reeves is. So now feels like a good time for a little break and a cold shower. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Now, time for a man I have sadly fallen devastatingly out of love with. Kanye, Kanye, Kanye. Yeah. I've got to keep this short, and frankly, how can one keep anything simple when it comes to Kanye West? But allow me to start from the beginning. This man won me over slowly. I'm not going to lie. The first time he stepped onto the scene, it was a little too much ego for me. I mean, it's always been too much ego. But then I listened to his music, and those early albums, phew, we've got College Dropout, Late Registration, Graduation, 808s, Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, even The Life of Pablo, even Yeezus for me. I know I'm a minority. It's all all so good, so gorgeous, just stunning, just art. And I grew to love the ego. Even when he said that he is, quote, God's vessel. Even when he grabbed the mic from Taylor Swift at the VMAs and said Beyonce deserved it. Even when he said he's more influential than Picasso and Stanley Kubrick. And honestly, was he wrong? I liked the idea of throwing modesty away and owning your shit. And honestly, it was at a time in my life and career where I really needed that advice. Yes, from Kanye, why not? Massively influential, truly genius man of color. Again, gotta love it. It's a powerful thing. Sarah, what were your feelings about Kanye before all the drama? I loved Kanye. When I found out that he and Kim Kardashian were having North, I screamed with joy. Like, I was (laughs) so excited. I, like, I woke up, I was on vacation. I woke up everyone in the house. I was just, I've never been happier. It was like they... It was like my second coming of Christ. Um, Maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe that's offensive. But it really, that's that's how it felt for me. That is how it felt for me. And I I also am a big fan of his tweets. I think, well, back from back of the day, not the recent tweets. But his original tweets, like looking for his fish tank. I mean, being responsible for the water bottle. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Those just put a smile on your face. Like, I'm sorry. He makes you laugh. He seems like he'd be fun to be around. Like, whether he's intentionally making you laugh or just making you laugh because he's ridiculous, I can't tell. But (laughs) that doesn't make him any less of a good time. Yeah, I think he's a little more self-serious than, say, a Keanu Reeves. But I think he is a bit of a comedian and maybe unintentionally a lot of the time, or used to be anyway. There certainly was a pre and a post. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I loved when he chased Kim Kardashian and he really did chase her. And I just loved their entire love story. Um, I'm with you. I believe that they are both God's vessels. I really do. It felt like a match made in ego heaven. They were my royalty. Mm-hmm. So, Sarah, you've got your royalty. They were mine. They were my royalty, too. Oh. Like, when Kate Middleton and Kim Kardashian were pregnant at the same <laughs> yeah. time, I was like, oh, my God, both my princesses. I was over the moon. We sound psychotic, but I love that for us. <laughs> We are right on. I worked at a national newspaper at the time, and I remember I posted something on the social media, which maybe I shouldn't have done. I don't don't know. I don't care. But I suggested that... I think Kim had just had their first child, North, and I was dying. Like, I was you. I was screaming. (laughs) And nobody cared, but I cared. And I made a post saying, this is the new royal family. And the downpour, the onslaught that we had, like, it was insane and things happened, but I was like, people feel very strongly about this, but I still feel that I'm in the right and I continue to feel that way. Now, when they covered Vogue, that was also my Bible and I'm sure it was yours too, Sarah. I can never forget those photos. But then, as so many of us know, all the good shit inverted and imploded on itself. Kanye's music took a downturn. He professed his love for making America great again. And it became clear that he actually treats Kim like shit. Maybe not the whole time, but certainly at some point. And has been actively abusive and borderline stalkerish since their split. 
But like Keanu, there's more to the story. Kanye is not someone who I think we should ever dismiss as crazy or unhinged. I know that's a lot of the internet talk. I don't love it because we know he's bipolar. We know he's been on medication. And even Kim has previously asked fans to grant him, quote, compassion and empathy because of it. There's been speculation that a lot of be- that a lot of his behavior has been due to the loss of his mother, Donda, in 2007. And maybe he used to talk about her a lot in the past. So I feel like Yeah, of course that would have a big impact on him. It would anyone. Um, But this is where all we can do is speculate and armchair diagnosis, Mm -hmm. and I don't really want to do that. Um, All I want today is for him to leave Kim alone. I hope he has support of his own, and I hope one day he's in a healthy place. And that selfishly, we get another great album. I even enjoyed his little relationship with Julia Fox, who I also love, and I wouldn't mind if he has another one of those. Like, I would be very entertained. (laughs) All over just to say, yes, I do miss the old Kanye. I think we all do. Um, Sarah, what do you make of post-Kanye, and how do we make the separation? It's hard. I I do believe we can separate the art from the artist and the earlier work from the later work as well. But in recent years, he's been so abusive to Kim and that is not okay. We don't want to normalize it. So it is important to name what is happening. It is abusive behavior. You cannot threaten your ex-wife's new boyfriend. You cannot do any number of the things he's doing. If you're not familiar, just Google it. There's a long list. At the same time, I do agree he's a tremendous talent. And I hope he gets the help that he needs because I do believe in rehabilitation. Now, listen, I think that once he is in a better place, he's going to have a lot of atoning to do. I I'm no, I have no interest in forgiving him if he doesn't do that atoning. But if he does, I do believe that in theory, anyone can be rehabilitated. And when they yeah. are, we do need to em- embrace them uh, again. Um, that doesn't mean you have to buy his album or listen to his music yeah, if you find yeah. it triggering. But I would be open to it if I felt like he was doing right by Kim and he truly made amends. And Kim has encouraged us to be compassionate to him. And she really is, you know, my goddess. So whatever she tells me to do, (laughs) I feel like I owe it to her to at least consider doing it. Yeah, Kim will just send us like a bad signal. You and I are going to be on our knees ready to go. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But But what's interesting to me about this is that Kanye is one of the most famous people on the planet, right? And he has been for a while. And so while I've fallen out of love with him because of all these things that have happened. There's so He has so many fans and he has such a ferocious fan base and a lot of them are still fans and a lot mm-hmm. of them are rooting for him through all this. A lot of them are even supporting his behavior, um, which makes me kind of want to touch a little bit on parasocial relationships because I feel like that's at play with a lot of the men that we're talking about mm-hmm. today. Um, Sir, can you describe parasocial relationships a little bit? So parasocial relationship is a relationship that is, I mean, in some ways you could call it a one-sided relationship, but it's a relationship that a non-famous person has with a celebrity, right? So they don't know you, but you feel like you know them, right? You feel like you know them because you've heard their music, you've seen their interviews, you follow their social media, you've seen pictures of their kids that were taken by the paparazzi. And so you have this bond in your mind, you might be loyal to them, you might be have be super biased towards them. Yeah. Um, and it makes sense because celebrities can get us through some really tough times, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you feel lonely and you listen to an album that really inspires you, that's powerful. Or you watch a TV show like Friends that comforts you, that's very powerful. So it is tempting to yeah. feel like we know these people. And it's natural too. Like it's completely normal. I have 
plenty of parasocial relationships. But at the same time, it can be dangerous because if we take it too far, we can end up enabling abusive behavior, which is what has happened with some of Kanye's fans because what he's doing right now is completely inexcusable. I, I understand he's he's going through a lot of struggles, but plenty of people who struggle in similar ways don't abuse their ex-wives. So his fans <laughs> who are enabling him, that is not okay. And that's taking a parasocial relationship too far. You don't have to like do the bidding of a celebrity you love when they are abusing someone. Do the bidding. Yeah, you are right on. That's exactly what I see when he did have his social media there would be a lot of that. And that's scary. And listen, like, I know everybody is fans of whoever they're fans of to each their own again. But like, sometimes I think we got to operate a little more as a collective. Like, I just wish that were the case. But it's not always. Um, So I'm just happy to know I'm in the right (laughs) at the end of the day. Um, But yeah, you totally nailed it. And I will say, I do feel like I've had parasocial relationships in the past. I think some people do to some degree, even as they get older. But the good thing is, as you mature, you start to have, we talk about this all the time, you develop a little bit of media literacy and Mm -hmm. see things for what they are and you know, you know that the celebrity is not actually talking to you specifically in their music. But I also don't want to take that away from you if that's what you feel. No. And I <laughs> yeah, yeah. quite frankly feel that sometimes Adele is talking to me. Oh. Yeah, I do too. I do too. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people are talking. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Okay. Sarah, tell me about another one of your not-so-favorites and take me a little further back this time. Well, now I'm going to talk to you about my first ever celebrity crush, Matthew Perry. Yes! <laughs> yeah, I loved him. The Canadian-born friend star taught me about the complexity of parasocial relationships. You see, I did what a lot of young women who grew up watching Friends did. I fell in love with Chandler Bing, and then I conflated him with the actor who portrayed him and was obsessed. While his jokes were sometimes homophobic and he was horrible to his ex-girlfriend Janice, Chandler was witty and cute and seemed like the kind of charming but ordinary guy I might actually grow up to meet at a coffee shop. Yeah. So here's a clip of Chandler's touching proposal to Monica, who um, Chandler and Monica are definitely the one true pairing of the show. I will not hear otherwise because Ross is disgusting and Rachel deserves better. I'm a little bit of a Ross apologist. (laughs) Don't hate me, world. I know, I know. I hate myself for it. But I'm with you. These two are the ones. It's always Chandler and Monica. You make me happier than I ever thought I could be. (laughs) And if you let me, I will spend the rest of my life trying to make you feel the same way. (laughs) So while watching that proposal scene when it aired on May 18th, 2000, I remember young Sarah hoping she'd one day find someone who'd love her as much as fictitious Chandler loved fictitious Monica. Only I don't think I really realized that they were fictitious. Can I just interject, though, and say you did kind of marry a Chandler Bing? Really? Yes. Really? Yeah. I feel (laughs) even just career-wise, I mean... (laughs) Maybe we're getting too personal, but... You know what? I think he's a cross between a Chandler and a Joey. Yeah, I think that's fair. But there's a lot of Chandler in that man. There is, but he also doesn't share food. So I see a lot of Joey on a daily (laughs) basis. Fair enough. It's a good combo. Yeah. In a 2002 New York Times profile, Perry added fuel to my delusional belief that he was Chandler Bing with this quote. Quote, It's no accident that Chandler is a guy who is trying to deter his own human emotional feelings with laughter. That's what I did for years. 
Carrie explained, I've tried to palm myself off as being a jokester, kind of like hanging out with me is kind of like a vacation, but that could only take me so far. Well, fast forward 20 years, and it became clear Matthew Perry wasn't anything like Chandler Bing, no matter what he said. In May of 2021, it came out that Matthew had matched with a 19-year-old on the celebrity dating app Raya the year before. He was 50 at the time they matched. The teenage Kate Harrelson asserts she matched with Matthew as a joke, but she chatted with the actor who was more than twice her age, and his idea of flirting was to ask, quote, am I as old as your dad? Chandler (laughs) Bing would never do that. (laughs) Soon thereafter, Matthew and his fiancée of seven months, 29-year-old literary manager Molly Hurwitz called it quits. The couple had been dating since 2018. Matthew told People Magazine of the split, quote, sometimes things don't work out. Which is true, but if you don't try to hook up with teens on Raya, your chances of breaking up with your fiancé are probably lower, Matthew. Oh, this makes me sad. It's really sad. Yeah. This one somehow is the one that is really breaking me. Yeah, it really is breaking me. And listen, I mean, he's not without complications and problems. He's had a long history of substance use disorder, his addiction to Vicodin that followed, um... In the accident he was in, and he was in a lot of pain. He also had alcohol use disorder. Well, he has alcohol use disorder. He he lives with it. But that also does not explain hitting on 19-year-olds on a dating app, right? Like, there are plenty of people who live with addiction issues who don't go after women who are less than half their age. So that doesn't really excuse anything he's done, right? And I think it would be insulting to people who fight addiction issues every day to say that addiction forces you somehow to prey on young women on Raya. So, Sadaf, do we often assume celebrities are the people that they play on TV? And how does that enable a star like Matthew Perry to get away with some seriously bad behavior? Yeah, we definitely do. Oh my God, I'm in my 30s and I still kind of do it. It's it's hard not to when you, especially with a show like Friends, which now you can watch every night if you want to do it. Mm-hmm. I definitely still have my Friends binges. Like, it's on a cycle. I'm going to do it again and again. What I will say is kind of a good thing is it ends up really separating the real life person from the character. Now when I watch Friends, I don't even think of Matthew Perry. I just look at Chandler and I still fucking love Chandler. Well, then I see Matthew Perry and I get a little sad and I felt sad even when I saw him at the reunion. And yeah, he's taking advantage of his role. I think a lot of people probably do who are celebrities in good ways and bad ways and maybe they benefit from it. I don't know that the other person necessarily does. Maybe for them sometimes, just like this girl, it's the same thing. It's like I hooked up with Chandler Bing or like I swiped right on Chandler Bing. It's a story. It's sad. It's just sad. And also, like, in my mind, Matthew Perry isn't in his 50s. He's still in his 30s because Chandler will always be in his 30s, right? The show ended a couple of decades ago with him at that age. So I do think it might be easier to prey on younger women because they've watched Friends and they are falling for Chandler as Chandler and also as the age Matthew was then. Uh, And the parasocial relationship is, it it messes with your brain, man. Like, it's, it's complicated. I'm so glad that you did a Friends star because I feel like Friends was huge for me in that way. When I watched the recent reunion last year, I realized how deep the parasocial relationship in me still was because I'm watching these people, they're significantly older. And I was really rattled because I thought, oh, in my head, they kind of all stayed the same way. And it was a little devastating, you Mm -hmm. know? And I kind of wish that 
maybe celebrities never had social media and they never did things like reunions and reboots and I never had to see paparazzi shots of them so I can preserve them in ice like I want to. But of course we can't do that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. But I will say there is a part of me mentally that's taking it a little easy on Matthew Perry just because I still see Chandler Bing. But I know he's a gross guy. He's a gross guy. Yeah, he should know better. Like, he should know better. He's in his yeah. 50s. He should know better. And uh, I don't know, maybe he and his fiance had an arrangement or maybe they were temporarily broken up, but he was with another woman. So it's, yeah. all, it's all a little weird and unseemly. Yeah, unseemly. I, I, here's what I will say. Here's my, my piece on this. I just want him to find love and something healthy and hopefully age appropriate, but that seems unlikely. What I will say in his favor is that Lauren Graham, who I love, they used to be friends for a long time and they almost dated. So I feel like if Lauren Graham loves Matthew Perry, but then maybe that's my parasocial relationship with Lauren Graham talking, you know? <laughs> Yeah, you don't know. Lauren Graham might be gross, yeah. too. She might oh. be like, yeah, go for it. Match with children on oh. Raya. I'm not saying that Lauren Graham is doing that. So, so, <laughs> no disrespect, Lauren Graham. I'm sorry. I also have a strong parasocial relationship with her. Um, I, We're taking it all I, back. You know, we stop I'm taking it all back. No. I'm just saying we don't know. And it could be that maybe she, maybe she loves lots of things about him except yeah. that. Maybe they're not as close anymore. I don't know. Like, it, it's... But I also just don't like it when we try to hold women accountable in Hollywood for gross no, things that their male co-stores or friends do. Like, I feel like we do that a <laughs> yeah. lot. Like, a man turns out to be gross, and then we ask every woman he's ever worked with what they think. It's like, it's not their responsibility. No, no. And God knows if these two are even still buddies anyway, so... Yeah. yeah, who knows? Who knows? Uh, so, Sadaf, why don't we wrap up with one of your favorite boys? Let's do it. Listen, I simply cannot speak of Tom Hanks without getting a little weird. Okay, so let's settle it. (laughs) (laughs) I consider this man my father, my lover, my brother, my neighbor, my best friend, my toy, literally. Because as a child, and still to some extent today, I was obsessed with Toy Story in every possible way, and specifically Woody. I'm not sure I realized I was infatuated with him because I was very young. I just felt like I knew him, and he was like a part of my DNA. Um, And I had this Woody doll, one I, by the way, threw endless temper tantrums for on the floors of many a Toys R Us. They eventually got it, thank God. Um, And I still have him. (laughs) He is still nestled in my bed, which doesn't scare any of my special guests at all. Granted, his string is missing. His shirt is now a murky brown color. He has a lazy eye. Still, that's my guy. I even wrote my name on his cowboy boots. So, you know, I had an illness and it's still going strong a little bit there. But anyway, I got older. I discovered Nora Ephron, my idol, and my new obsession became You've Got Mail. And then there was Sleepless in Seattle. And suddenly my new guy was Joe Fox, F-O-X. Then came Forrest Gump, Castaway, Saving Private Ryan, Big the money pit, that thing you do a league of their fucking own, that Carly Rae Jepsen video. And honestly, the list is too long. I just love it all. Um, But basically, I grew up with him. I think a lot of us did. And here's the thing. It's not just that he's an unbelievable actor and incredibly charming and handsome, I think. He's really kind. And that's been noted by a lot of people who he seems to come in contact with. Um, He is his characters. He is Forrest Gump. He is Fred Rogers. I will insist this to my death. There was that time that he sent a cab driver free tickets to his Broadway show and remembered his name. That time he bought the White House Press Corps an espresso machine after learning they got their copy from vending machines. And then he upgraded it so 
several years later, okay? That time he refunded a couple he bumped into a gas station who told him they didn't like his film, Larry Crown. Who does that when you <laughs> run into Tom Hanks? Then there was that time he treated everyone and in and out to free burgers after he and his wife, Rita Wilson, stopped by for lunch. He is America's dad for a reason. He's always got stories. He has that infectious laugh. He gave birth. To, he didn't give birth, but he's the father of Chet Hanks, and he doesn't regret it. And he collects typewriters. I mean, my God. Sarah, how do you feel about Tom Hanks? I like him. All right. No, I'm not as obsessed as you are. Sarah's I'm not. giving me a side. <laughs> I'm a fan. I, I appreciate him. And one of the things I love about him is I really like Rita Wilson. I yeah, think she's, she's dynamic and multi-talented. She's something of a renaissance woman. She was hilarious as Marnie's mom on Girls. Like, that's a brilliant comedic performance. And she should have won an Emmy for it. I really, truly believe that. So I feel like a man who has taste in women like that, I really respect that. Like, yeah. you know, she's fantastic. He's a two-time Oscar winner for Best Actor. They're one of my favorite celebrity couples. I really mm. love them together. So that's my favorite fact about Tom Hanks, that he's married to Rita Wilson, because I think they're just so great and perfect together. And one of the oldest Hollywood couples, too. Mm-hmm. Like, very long-standing. He, he always supports her, too. I know. I love that one. That's such a good point, by the way, because I feel like a lo- all the men who we've talked about today that we love we talked about how much we love the women that they're with. Mm -hmm. And that says, you're so right. That says everything. Okay, I'm going to do something really crazy here, and I'm going to quote myself. Specifically (laughs) an ode I wrote a few years ago for that very same newspaper, which for some reason published this. I don't know why. Okay, quote, two decades later, my Woody doll is the only trace of my childhood to have made it through my youth, now nestled comfortably on a desk chair or my bed. Bandana and hat long since lost. His voice box no longer works, which is really devastating, actually. Um, Half of it juts out over the top of his blue jeans. The drawstring is hanging. It's a shame because it's a voice that I grew up with. When I hear it, I'm transported to a time and a place in the way movies should move you. Think of great friendship, of the sweetest romance, of so many heroes and their epic adventures, all of which he played, all of which he did. And therein lies the power of a movie star with real heart. I really think that Tom Hanks, at the end of the day, is the essential movie star. And he's what... We will. Uh, he's the last one, one mm-hmm. of the last of that generation. We talk about that a lot too, mm-hmm. right? And I think there's a certain charm and excitement that they have that we're never going to get with anyone else. So here's my question. How has Tom kind of remained above the fray? Because I really do think he's a massive anomaly, especially for his generation. There's not even any fuckboy <laughs> patterns to trace back to. Well, first of all, that was a beautiful passage that you read. That's Thank gorgeous. <laughs> and I now feel like Thank I truly you. understand your love and loyalty for Tom Hanks on a, on another level. And I get it. I have parasocial relationships too, and I've never explained them that articulately. So, I mean, kudos to you. Thank you, Sarah. How has he remained perfect? Well, I think that part of it is probably in his youth, he didn't have social media. I think that makes it a lot easier. Yeah, I think that's a huge thing. When we thing, don't yeah. have a record of your follies. Um, <laughs> like, I love Twitter. I use it on the daily, but I do know that when I'm Tom Hanks's age and I go back and I see my thoughts, I will cringe. So it's probably yeah. for the best if you want to be dignified that 
you don't have it. Well, let me just say, though, because he has an Instagram now, right? And he literally just uses it to post lost things that he finds. It's so dad-like. <laughs> Such dad behavior. I think dad Instagram is great. Like, that's one yeah. of my favorite genres of Instagram. And so I think, like, when you are wise and seasoned in your 60s, that's the time to get Instagram. Like, wait until then. I'm going to tell my daughter this. You can get Instagram in your 60s, like Tom Hanks, and then you can just help people find their lost watch. That's what you can do with your life. But I also think that, like, it seems to me that he's primarily, first and foremost, an actor before he's a movie star. And when people are like that, that helps them stay out of trouble. It's kind of like a Meryl Streep, who, yes, is a box office draw. Yes, she has a legion of fans. But I think she would tell you Primarily, she's looking for roles that inspire her. She's looking to do art. She's an artist first. And I think that's true of Tom Hanks as well. He's an artist first. And when you don't have the movie star ego, when you aren't as obsessed with being famous and being number one at the box office or getting publicity and being in magazine covers, you can just be low-key and be a good person. Seems like that is the choice that Tom Hanks made. And, you know, we love him for it. I don't love him as much as you. No one does. But I, I do love him, too. <laughs> I realize it sounds like illness, but it's just what it is. But thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and I totally agree. And I do think that's part of the reason why I, and I like to hope maybe one or two others in this world have developed this relationship with him, <laughs> is because those celebrities of that generation that don't have social media, like you said, they end up creating an air of mystery. And then where that is, it creates this whole empty blank slate where you can put whatever you want on top of it. So we can act like he's this amazing, flawless guy. But listen, I will say, how does Chet Hanks exist? You know, somebody's got to explain that. But I I don't want to talk about that, though. So it's fine. It's fine. I love Um, Colin Hanks. We love Colin Hanks. Why isn't he like in a, why isn't he a bigger star? You'd think he would be, you know, that he's talented. There's also the nepotism. He kind of even looks like his dad. Why isn't he in Marvel movies or something? I think because he's being smart. I think he likes sticking to TV and maybe the good small stuff, but I hope he stays away from Marvel. I hope he like draws a path like his dad. That's the way to go. I hope. And God knows he's never going to have a problem, right? I mean, he's always going to have Tom there and that last name. He doesn't need to work for the money. Yeah, I hate to say it, but anyway. So there's my piece. That's my favorite guy, Tom Hanks. Well, that brings us to our final segment, Hindsight is 2022, where we choose the one moment that we might have handled differently if we were the subjects of the story. I shouldn't have done that. In today's episode, however, I suggest we take a look at how what attracts us to the pop culture figures we love has evolved and what we wish we'd known sooner. So what would that be for you, Sadaf? I don't know. This is a tricky one. I feel like when I was younger, I would always be so ready to go to bat for my guys, you know? Like, I remember doing that for Justin Timberlake, which is now a little bit of a yikes. So, <laughs> but I was young, and I and I didn't know the depth of everything that was happening, and I didn't understand all the levels to what was happening with Britney. This is just the first example that comes to mind. But the older that I've gotten, the easier it is for me to see when these things happen, why it doesn't sit well with me. That's just natural now. Before I had to think about about it. And now it's just an immediate feeling. And I also think 
it kind of reflects who you are and it reflects your tastes in real life. It's not that different. The same way we talk about Stanley Tucci, I think is the way we would talk about a guy in real life. Like it is relationships to some degree and sure it's just one-sided, but it's all human nature. I don't, I never beat myself up about it now. I don't have any guilty pleasures. I'm I'm airing it all out. Like, it's <laughs> fine, you know? It's just fun, and that's okay. It's harmless. I think that's the key thing I would say. I used to be embarrassed to say who my favorite favorites were, and now I really don't care. It's hilarious. What about you, Sarah? I think one thing that's really changed for me is I no longer expect my parasocial crushes to be perfect. Um, I have limits, right? What Matthew Perry did with that 19-year-old, that was a bridge too far. Uh, (laughs) But I do accept that just like real people I know are flawed and you can still love them. Movie stars are flawed and you can still love them. So like my man Stanley, who is a sexy beast, but did, you know, have an affair and leave his wife temporarily. I admire him for admitting he was wrong and making amends. I admire people in real life who can admit they're wrong because we are all bound to make mistakes. And that's now what I'm looking for in my celebrity crushes, like real flawed humans. I'll never know the actual person behind the image, but I am looking for people where I feel like I can relate to them more. And I just find it so damn relatable that Stanley hates Peppa Pig. (laughs) (laughs) Dads, dads, we've got an issue here. Lots of daddy issues. But yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, there's something about the relatability, right? And I'm with you because I think, for example, Keanu is a good one. Back when I was younger, I would think that, okay, he's a little too boring for me. Like, there's just nothing going on. And then the more you find out about him, and then even when it comes down to the sad Keanu meme and the way he talks about his current relationship or doesn't talk about it, those things to me create a layer of depth where I'm like, that's interesting. Like, I want to know more rather than like, the pretty boy who just doesn't have a lot going on upstairs. Like there's, you know, you want a little bit of something to chew on. Yeah. Yeah. You want some substance and you want a guy who's, I, I care now about a man who's, you know, dignified. He has gravitas. Dignified. dignified. I also really like, you know, when they do endorsements for products that are aspirational, like, um, when Stanley Tucci endorsed the Mandarin Oriental, I was like, I'd like to stay at a Mandarin Oriental. This is a man who take me to a Mandarin Oriental. Good taste. I respect good taste a lot more than I used to. I'm with you on that. I still like guys who can laugh at themselves a little bit, you know, do some terrible campaign, promote something stupid. I'll love you forever. And there it is. Okay, so... That's the end of this week's episode. We wish all of our current crushes well and congratulate them for not only accomplishing the bare minimum and remaining unproblematic, but for staying gentlemen that we would love to get our hands on at any age, time, place, weather, position, you name it. They're still sexy. Now, if you want to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Sahagian. Sadaf, where can our listeners find you? Listeners can find me at underscore staff Hassan. I'd also like to say a big thank you to our amazing producer, Joe Fish. And finally, if you liked this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe so other listeners can find us too. Thanks for listening. 